You're listening to a live audio recording from Women's Bible Fellowship at LEFC. This is week number three of None Like Him. Today's teaching focuses on the truth that God is self-existent. So ladies, before we look at this week's attribute of self-existent, the God of infinite creativity, I want to read some quotes from A.W. Tozer that reinforce why it's so valuable to study the characteristics of God's nature like we're doing this semester. Um, the quote is somewhat lengthy because I actually took excerpts from various writings of his, but I think it's important to be reminded of these truths. And keep in mind, he wrote this decades ago because he died in 1963. Um, but I think you will agree with its relevance for today. Um, we would never know by reading this that it was written decades ago. Christianity at any given time is strong or weak depending on her concept of God. And I insist upon this and have said it many times that the basic trouble with the church today is her unworthy conception of God. It is vitally important that we think soundly about God, since he is the foundation of all our religious beliefs. It follows that if we err in our ideas of God, we will go astray on everything else. Often we have been warned that the morality of any nation or civilization will follow its concepts of God. We must think nobly and speak worthily of God. We would do well to follow our old-fashioned forebears who knew what it was to kneel in breathless, wondering adoration in the presence of the God who is willing to claim us as his own through grace. Worship, I say, rises or falls with our concept of God. If there is one terrible disease in the Church of Christ, it is that we do not see God as great as he is. End quote. 2 Corinthians 4 6 states, For God who said light shall shine out of darkness is the one who has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. God enables us to know his glory, which means if he enables us to, he wants us to know his glory. 2 Peter 3.18 tells us that we are to grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Let me pray. Father God, you are great. Forgive us for the times that we fail to acknowledge that, or that we acknowledge it with our words, but our lives do not reflect that belief, that you truly are great and worthy of all of our glory and praise and honor. We pray, Lord, for your blessing now. Remove me, hide me, and reveal yourself to these precious ladies, Lord. Speak to our hearts the message that you want us to hear. We love you, Jesus. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Just as I said with the first two attributes of infinite and incomprehensible, the idea that God is self-existent is difficult to grasp. It's a challenge to fully wrap our mind around. Indeed, that's because there is nothing else in our world that is not created and has no cause. The definition of self-existent is existing independently of other beings or causes, not caused to exist by someone or something else, 
inherent existence, existence possessed by virtue of a being's own nature. I was thrilled to see that actually one source defined it as saying it is an attribute peculiar to God. Jean-Paul Sartre, a well-known philosopher, stated that the created entities cannot enjoy autonomy or self-existence because we must depend upon a creator. God has no origin. Furthermore, he himself is the origin of everything, and that is true of only God. Nothing else has no origin. We cannot think of anything that fits that description other than God. Even weeds, I was thinking about weeds that seem to just pop up everywhere, all over your yard, no matter what you try to do. They just show up in random places. Even weeds have an origin. They started with a seed, um, a seed that was originally created when God spoke the physical earth into being. A.W. Tozer describes God as the cause of all, and he himself is the uncaused cause. The first four words of the Holy Scriptures, Genesis 1-1, in the beginning, God. Arthur Pink points out that nothing, no one but God from everlasting, self-contained, self-sufficient, self-satisfied. And reading the entire verse of Genesis 1-1, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Pink points out that he was under no constraint, no obligation, no necessity to create. That he chose to do so was purely a sovereign act on his part, caused by nothing outside himself, determined by nothing but his own mere good pleasure. That he did create was simply for his manifestative glory. King rightly believes that it is impossible to bring the Almighty under obligation to the creature. God gains nothing from us, and we'll look at that in much greater depth next week when we consider God to be self-sufficient. These facts should cause us to be immensely grateful that Creator God chose to create us. He chose us as his own precious child, and he continues every day to choose to have a relationship with us and invite us into his presence to approach his throne through his son, Jesus Christ. It's really mind-blowing to dwell on that. For those of us who have been a Christian for many years, has that truth lost its awe? Has it become something we take for granted that we no longer see as miraculous? I pray that would never be the case for any of us. If we begin to lose our sense of awe and wonder, let's go back to Genesis 1-1. In the beginning, God. Isaiah 40, 18 through 26 states the following. To whom then will you liken God, or what likeness compared with him? An idol, a craftsman casts it, and a goldsmith overlays it with gold and casts it for silver chains. He who is too impoverished for an offering chooses wood that will not rot. He seeks out a skillful craftsman to set up an idol that will not move. Do you not know? Do you not hear? Has it not been told you from the beginning? Have you not understood from the foundations of the earth? It is he who sits above the circle of the earth, and its inhabitants are like grasshoppers, who stretches out the heavens like a curtain and spreads them like a tent to dwell in, who brings princes to nothing and makes the rulers of the earth as emptiness. 
Scarcely are they planted, scarcely sown. Scarcely has their stem taken root in the earth when he blows on them and they wither, and the tempest carries them off like stubble. To whom then will you compare me that I should be like him, says the Holy One? Lift up your eyes on high and see who created these. He who brings out their host by number, calling them all by name, by the greatness of his might, and because he is strong in power, not one is missing. Truly no one, no thing can compare to the self-existent God, the uncaused cause of all. And Paul in the New Testament, in his sermon on Mars Hill, he was in Athens and he saw all the idols as he was walking through the city, he saw all the idols that man had created. And he said the following in Acts 17, 23 through 29. For as I passed along and observed the objects of your worship, I found also an altar with this inscription, To the unknown God. What therefore you worship as unknown, this I proclaim to you. The God who made the world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by man, nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. And he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, having determined allotted periods and the boundaries of their dwelling place, that they should seek God and perhaps feel their way toward him and find him. Yet he is actually not far from each one of us, for in him we live, and move and have our being. As even some of your own poets have said, for we are indeed his offspring. Being then God's offspring, we ought not to think that the divine being is like gold or silver or stone, an image formed by the art and imagination of man. In him we live and move and have our being. We are his creation. When I was researching definitions for self-existent, I found one source that explained that the word that encapsulates or means self-existent is Lord, when it's all in capitals, L-O-R-D, Yahweh, Jehovah, the self-existent eternal God. In Exodus chapter 3, a story we are all familiar with, when God appears to Moses in the burning bush, God is calling Moses to lead his people out of Egypt. And I'm going to read verses 11 through 15. But Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? He said, But I will be with you, and this shall be the sign for you that I have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall serve God on this mountain. Then Moses said to God, if I come to the people of Israel and say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me, What is his name? What shall I say to them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, Say this to the people of Israel, I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, Say this to the people of Israel, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever, 
and thus I am to be remembered throughout all generations. Moses had first asked God, Who am I that I should? And God makes it clear to Moses, It is not a matter of who you are, but a matter of who I am. And I am the great I am. I am means I am the self-existent one. I exist and I define myself. I am eternal. God's attributes are his essential essence of which he says I am. He is telling Moses that he did not derive from anywhere. His existence is not dependent on anything else. In the New Testament, we see Jesus echo this in John 8, 58, when he says to the religious leaders, truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. And the Jewish religious people at that time, they knew the power of that claim because the very next verse says they picked up stones to throw at Jesus. Note that God uses the present tense, I am who I am. All that God is, he always is. And I know I've said that the past two weeks when we talked about infinite and incomprehensible, but it is worth emphasizing again. He is the same God today that he was when he appeared to Moses in Exodus. The verb to be, as in I am, is the Latin root of essence. God is the original, uncreated essence. And as God is, so is Jesus Christ, his Son, and the Holy Spirit. The Athanasian Creed, which was written in the 6th century as an early statement of belief, focusing on Trinitarian doctrine, the doctrine of the Trinity, and also Christology, which is the study of Christ. It states this, The Father is made of none, neither created nor begotten. The Son is of the Father alone, not made nor created, but begotten. The Holy Spirit is of the Father and of the Son, neither made nor created nor begotten, but proceeding. The Trinity, such a beautiful mystery that challenges, stretches our vocabulary to be able to fully explain it. Three persons but one God, none created, all from everlasting. And Scripture reinforces this truth. Genesis 1-1, in the beginning, God. Genesis 1-2, and the Spirit of God was moving over the surface of the waters. Genesis 1-26, then God said, let us make man in our image. John 1, 1-2, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. Verse 14 of John 1 further clarifies who the Word is, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. Colossians 1, 16-17, also speaking of Jesus, says, For by him all things were created, both in the heavens and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things have been created by him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. What is true of God in his self-existence is also true of the Son and of the Spirit. So God and God alone can say, I am who I am. We can say I am, but only with lowercase letters. 
Only God can say I am in all capital letters. And yet how we try. How we pretend that our I am is also in capital letters. And that, dear friends, is the essence of sin. We assert ourselves on the throne that rightly belongs to God alone. We think we have the right to call the shots of our life, to determine our destiny, to demand justice, to have our way. A.W. Tozer says, can you imagine it? The great God Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, said this is my name throughout all generations, my memorial forever. I am who I am. I never was created. I was not made. I am. I made you for my love. I made you to worship, honor, and glorify me. I made you to love and hold you and give myself to you. But you turned away from you, from me. And you made yourself God and put yourself on that throne. That is sin. That's why the scripture says, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. What does born again mean? Among other things, it means a renewal, a rebirth. But it also means getting off the throne and putting God on it. It means that the self-existent one is recognized for who he is. Once we came to accept the gift of salvation and we received God's Holy Spirit, we began to recognize God as the self-existent one who is and deserves to be on the throne of my life. Yet it is a lifelong battle in our fleshly state to stay off the throne ourselves. Even as we utter the words, your will be done, in our minds, we are formulating what we want that will to be. And we get frustrated or even angry when God's ways are not our own. There was a saying in the past that was really popular, maybe you've seen it on a bumper sticker before, that said, God is my co-pilot. I once saw a bumper sticker that I loved. I was like, yes, that's the truth. It said, if God is your co-pilot, then you're in the wrong seat. <laughs> Dear friends, we need to get out of the pilot's chair. Malachi 4.2 refers to the Lord as the Son, S-U-N, of righteousness. And what do we know about the Son? It is in the center. Everything revolves around it. We and all of creation revolve around God. He is the origin, the beginning. He is the center that holds all things together, and he is the end. God said, I am. Sinful man came along and said, I will. Think of Adam and Eve in the garden. I will eat of the fruit from the forbidden tree. And so it started. And every human created since that time struggles with saying, I will. James 4, 13 through 16 states, Come now, you who say, today or tomorrow, we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. Only God can say, I am who I am. We need to say, 
I am because you are. Earlier in James 4, we are told, submit to God, draw near to God, and humble ourselves in his presence. Scripture also affirms that God's essence has been revealed in general revelation, so that man is without excuse. Romans 1.20, For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes, his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly seen, being understood through what has been made, so that they are without excuse. He reveals himself and his I am essence. Creation itself is representative of his self-existence. Right now, I want you to close your eyes and think of a time that you were maybe deep in the woods or maybe on the edge of a mountainside or a steep cliff. Perhaps you're sitting beside the ocean. Can you hear the waves crashing, the crickets chirping, the wind rushing? Do you feel the warmth of the sun, the softness of the sand, the coolness of the breeze? Can you picture the height of the mountain, the depth of the valley? How do you feel? Tiny? Grateful? Awed? Amazed? A clear sense of a creator? I think we also feel comfort and peace in nature because we are drawn and attracted to the essence of God and his I am. And you can open your eyes now, I don't want to fall asleep. So, um, several summers ago, Ron and I, Ron's my husband, and Ron and I were walking along the beach beside the Atlantic Ocean, and we were just watching the waves crashing in, and we were discussing how powerful the waves were as they were crashing against the shore. And yet, at the same time, so powerful, but also something so peaceful and comforting about how consistent and steady the rhythm. And he and I talked about what a beautiful imagery it is of the great I am. So powerful, so mighty, like those crashing waves, and yet so comforting and so peaceful and so consistent in our life. So why is it critical? Why does it matter to know that God is the self-existent one, the uncaused cause, the great I am? What should our response be to this attribute? Let's look at Isaiah 6, 1 through 8. And I refer briefly to Isaiah's response last week, but this week I want to look at it a little bit further. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him stood the seraphim. Each had six wings. With two he covered his face, and with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the foundations of the threshold shook at the voice of him who called, and the house was filled with smoke. And I said, Woe is me, for I am lost, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a burning coal that he had taken with tongs from the altar. 
And he touched my mouth and said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for. And I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? Then I said, Here am I, send me. Isaiah's immediate response after seeing the great I am is, Woe is me, for I am, depending on your translation, I saw, I am silenced, I am lost, I am ruined, because I am a man of unclean lips. When we truly encounter Creator God, who is perfect and holy, we see ourselves, the creation, unholy, sinful. And what is so riveting and beautiful in this passage is when the seraphim flies to Isaiah, touches his mouth with a burning coal from the altar, and tells him, your iniquity, your guilt is taken away, and your sin is forgiven. Let me now read verse 8 again. Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send, and who will go for us? Then I said, Here am I, send me. In response to Isaiah seeing the great I am, he can only say, Here am I. Send me, Lord. Use me for your service and glory. If we truly see God as the great I am, the self-existent one, can we respond any other way but to say, Here am I, Lord? No longer will we try to claim, I am who I am. We will acknowledge that God alone lays claim to that statement. We are his creation, and he created us for his purpose and his glory. We put I at the end of a sentence. After telling Lord, the Lord, here am. No longer is I at the beginning of a sentence. When we create a meal, or a piece of art, or a flower arrangement, do we not lay claim to its use, its presentation, its purpose? If I'm preparing a meal, I'm going to decide what side dishes I want to go with it, what platters I want to use, what dessert I think would complement the meal. My son's girlfriend is an artist, and when she completes a piece of art that she's done, she then decides the color of the matting, the size of the frame, the style of the frame, how it should best be displayed. If I pick flowers from my yard, I come into my house and I decide what base, what size, what color, where, do I want in the living room, on the dining room table? How much more so, the creator God of the universe, the self-existent I am who I am, in the beginning God, Will we take ourselves off the throne? Will we bow the knee in humble acknowledgement of his absolute right to us as our creator to determine our use, our presentation, our purpose, and to trust that as our creator, he truly knows best. And as the self-existent one, he truly is worthy of all glory. May our response be, here and Lord, send me. My closing prayer is actually one written by A.W. Tozer. Please pray with me. Our Father in heaven, 
You are God, and your name is I am who I am forever. In your loving kindness, you have created me, but I have sinned. All we like sheep have gone astray. That's the essence of sin. We have all turned to our own way. And the Lord said, if any man follow me, let him deny himself. Father, I recognize your right to run my business, your right to run my home, your right to guide my life, your right to be all in all to me. Not I, but Christ be honored, loved, exalted. Not I, but Christ be seen, be heard, be known. Not I, but Christ the self-existent one. And it's in his name we pray. Amen.